Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We think about those words. Those aren't comfortable words to sing. And I want to be tried by fire. Is that what you came for here this morning? It's like, this is church. Aren't we supposed to be happy and comfortable and a safe place? Yes and no, no and yes. That's a bold prayer that we just sang. Uh, and it only makes sense if we know who we're praying to. Uh, much like I know for me, if, if, there's a, a, if I'm going to go into surgery, I need to know that the surgeon is a qualified surgeon, that he or she's going to do a good job. They have a track record. And then I can entrust myself to that surgeon. Or maybe it's to a trainer or something where there's, there's a change in my life or something that needs to happen, whether it's a, a counselor or a therapist. If that person knows what they're doing, uh, then I can entrust myself to that person. That's the nature of that song, that we could come to God who is the one who refines us, who purifies us, who can help us, and he does it with grace. And so we sing those words. Uh, may that be a prayer for us. Let's pray as we continue to look for that refinement through his word together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your word. And it is a gift. Lord, your word which is living and active. And it does spiritual surgery. And we need that spiritual surgery, God. We need your love and your care and your grace. And so right now, God, I ask in this moment, Lord, on this August 21st, 2022, at this moment, God, that you would meet us with your love and your grace and your truth, that you would give us eyes to see perhaps something we haven't been seeing and ears to hear perhaps something that we haven't been hearing and give us that openness to you, that you would do that restoring work, that renewing work, that life-giving work that you alone can do perfectly. And so we look to you, we look to your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come today, I, I've been praying all week, and I believe that God wants to show you something, perhaps that you haven't thought about in a while, perhaps ever, um, something that um, we go through the course of our days, and we go from one thing to the next, and we get caught up, and we, we're not really thinking about the bigger picture oftentimes, and it's moments like this, a worship service like this, a time like this, that God gives us the gift to slow down and sometimes get a perspective on life that we normally wouldn't have. Um, the reality to which I'm referring is that there is a battle for your heart and mind. Let me say that again. There is a battle going on for your heart and mind. You may not realize that it's happening, but it's happening. But the good news today is that you don't have to face that struggle alone. And we're going to talk about that struggle as we continue in our sermon series entitled Living Sacrifices. We're looking at the New Testament letter of Romans chapter 12. We're putting a magnifying glass for these four weeks, and we're in the second week of that series. And today we're going to look at that struggle in light of this chapter. If you recall last week, we considered what it means for God to bring us back to life as we offer ourselves to him. And we've considered the upside-down truth of Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to find life, if you want to, if you want to find life, it's not what you think. Because if you try to save your life, if you try to protect your life, you're actually going to lose it. But Jesus said, if you lose your life, if you give your life away to me, you'll find it. So if you want to find life, Jesus says, give it to me. Give it away to me. And it's an 
upside down way of thinking things. We considered how Jesus is the true living sacrifice. We considered that last week because he gave away his life and he didn't stay in the grave. On the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And therefore, he is the true living sacrifice and he is the giver of life both now and forever. And we can rediscover life. We could come back to life as we come to him. As you recall, if you were here last week or tuned in, Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul issued this call to action. He says, therefore, I urge you, urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, Paul said. Right, Paul urged his readers and listeners to, in view of God's mercy, to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. Right, this came with a sense of urgency. He says, I urge you. He says, do this. Do this now. Don't wait. Don't put this on a to-do list to be forgotten about later. Don't let it sit in your inbox. Do this right here, right now. I urge you to do this in view of God's mercy. God's mercy seen and known ultimately in Jesus Christ. His mercy seen and known in his life, his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. That forgiveness of our sins made the way for us to be made whole and to be restored into a right relationship with God. Paul says, in view of all that God has done for us, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And this call to action is urgent. And the offer for finding life is made available to anyone who's open to what God makes available to them. Because God's in the business of bringing about life. He brings, he takes what's lost and he brings it back to life. He is in the business of turning lives around and turning around life stories as we offer ourselves to him. But the challenge what I want to talk about today is that there's resistance to this. You may or may not realize it, but there's resistance to that offering of ourselves to God. We can easily get pulled away from God. And it comes in many different ways. It's not always by big temptations and pulls, so that may be a situation you run into. Oftentimes it's more subtle. It's little pulls, little distractions, little temptations. And Paul addresses this in the next verse, verse two of Romans chapter 12. Let me read this to you. Paul says this. He issues this call to action. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right, Paul continued by first stating what a follower of Christ needs to stop doing when he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right, the working assumption here is that we are being shaped by something. Have you thought about that? You are being shaped every day by something. The question that we need to ask is, what is shaping us? Personally, to ask yourself, what's shaping me? What's shaping me? Because the word for conform, the Greek word that's translated in its original form speaks to a schema or being squeezed or pressured into, into, into a form of a pattern. And Paul says we need to not be conformed or squeezed into a specific pattern. In essence, Paul is saying, if, apart from any interruption, the default mode of life, if we don't interrupt it, is we will be conformed to something. And he calls it the pattern of this world. Meaning that our lives will take on the same form of something in someone else. Their thoughts, their attitudes, and their actions. So how are we to stop this conforming? 
Like Paul said that we need to stop taking the same shape or being squeezed into the pattern of this world. Think about a pattern, right? If you think, think about a picture, a pattern, whether it's something that's recognizable or maybe it's a, a set of lines that there's a, a specific pattern that you could identify. So what kind of pattern is Paul describing here when he says the pattern of this world? All right, Paul's not talking about the physical planet when he says this world. He's also not talking about the people of this world. What Paul's talking about when we ever read about the world in the New Testament, he's talking about all that stands against God in this world, typically experienced in our culture and in our day-to-day life. Anything that stands against God, that tries to cut God out of the picture, specifically cutting out the name of Jesus. And for Paul, in the Roman culture in which he lived, he experienced that pressure every single day. The pressure to conform was a life and death situation. So Paul knew this very well. For us, it comes in many forms, and oftentimes it's more subtle. In many ways, this conforming for us can seem like simply the air that we breathe. It's just around us. But this air isn't neutral. This air is trying to shape us and to form us and to have us conform to a specific way of being. Don't be mistaken that this conforming pressure is not a neutral source. The world shapes and molds us as pressured is applied. Now for me, when I think about this pressure, I think of Plato. Plato. I love Plato. I've always loved Plato. So my, I, mean, I think some of my favorite memories as a kid is, is with Plato. And I, still to this day, I mean, obviously having, when my kids aren't younger anymore, but when they were young and they played with Plato, selfishly, it was time for me to play with Plato. I love Plato. We can mold Plato into all kinds of shapes as we apply pressure. Um, you see, as we put it in, this is done as pressure is applied. I have some extra pieces. Anyone more tactile learn? Anyone want to play with some Plato? Here we go, over there. There we go, that's good. Who do we got, anyone else? Oh yeah, McKenna, I know you want it, there we go. Are we gonna go deep, Mary Grace? My wife just wanted me to do this, Mary Grace, we're going to you. David Bell, short. Oh, Colleen's out, she doesn't wanna play. Let's see, let's see. Um, let's go small over here, Laura, catch it over there, there we go. So you didn't realize you come to church, you get free Play-Doh, I mean, listen. But f- back to seriousness though, I mean, Do you realize that our lives, um, in many ways, can be like Plato? We're moldable and shapeable, more ways than we realize. But do we consider the types of pressures that shape us, that mold us day in, day out? Do we consider the types of pressures that shape our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions? Do you consider the types of pressures that shape our working assumptions? And do we consider the types of pressures that shape how we see the world and interact with it? There's all kinds of pressures that we face. Uh, Some examples that come to mind, uh, starting right with social media. Social media comes to us in different angles, and whether we're clicking in and looking at social media, whether it's local or if it's global, as we see what other people are thinking and not only what's posted in terms of articles and opinions, but then the comments underneath, we feel the pressure to conform. Wow, it seems like a lot of people are thinking this or saying this. That's not exactly what I'm thinking. I feel a little pressure here. Maybe I need to conform. And no doubt that's global or if we look at articles from around the world, but it gets really personal when it's right here in town. 
And if you go onto the community groups and opinions are shared, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, if I don't agree with what's being said here, am I going to be ex- accepted in town? See, conforming and pressure, peer pressure, doesn't end at middle school and high school, does it? It keeps going. In fact, it might get worse. Sorry, middle school, high schooler, sorry for the, for the update on that. That's not good. That's not encouraging. But we're being shaped and molded. Social media. How about 24-hour news? Depending on what channel we tune into on the TV or whatever news app we look at, is every day as we're reading this, whether it's once a day, multiple times a day, some people constantly looking and reading the next story, we are being shaped and molded. Other influences are friends. Friends and what they say. Right? The pressures that come. Yesterday was... It was an f- interesting conversation with, I heard one of my daughters having a conversation with some friends about what, what they have with their French fries and what that looks like. And then it came down to what favorite sauce they like at Chick-fil-A. That's a big debate, right? And so when one person said they didn't like the Chick-fil-A sauce, I thought war was going to break out, right? So there's, there's pressure to get together. What happens when friends have different opinions and when it's a lot more serious than Chick-fil-A sauce? What about family, close family? We're being pressured to take a certain form. It keeps going and going. And so I believe we owe it to God, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to others to ask the question, what types of pressures are being applied? In addition, we need to ask the questions as we do, how are they impacting us and how are they shaping us? So Romans 12, 2 starts that call to action to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so more specifically, God calls us to let him interrupt us. So what does this look like? Continuing in the verse, we see the word but. It speaks to a change, an interruption. As we continue in the verse, Paul says, but be transformed. Say that with me. But be transformed. One more time. But be transformed. Paul is saying, put an interruption in this. Let God interrupt us. Let him reshape us. How can we be reshaped? And how does it uh, take place? It takes place, he says, by the renewing of our mind. Our mind, which is the seat of our intellect, which in many ways is like the operating system which programs the decisions we make. Yes, there's always debates about is it the mind, is it the heart? But the, and the mind, we need to be renewed, Paul says. So we could be transformed, we could be renewed. So we could see things differently. He, when Paul says, but be transformed, he says there needs to be an interruption. For me, it's a picture as if someone's walking in one direction or a whole crowd is walking mindlessly in one direction. And in this single direction, not thinking, just being conformed to the pattern of the world, but here comes God tapping on the shoulder saying, hey, wake up, wake up. My way is this way. It's the opposite way. You need to be interrupted. You need to be transformed. And this picture is constant throughout the Bible. If you open up your Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, you see over and over and over God saying, do not be like them to God's people, meaning don't be like the surrounding nations. Don't adopt their practices. And God wanted to keep a people that would be loved by him, would be holy, separate. He said, don't be like them. We see it in the Old Testament, but it's just not the Old Testament. We see it in Jesus as well. But it's in the Sermon on the Mount, right, in that block of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter five through seven, over and over, Jesus says, but I tell you, people are acting in a certain way, people thinking in a certain way. He says, but I tell you, this way. Or other points, Jesus, who's a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom, delineates a different way of living. And he says the words, not so with you. And so Jesus says we need to step out, step out of the pattern of this world and live differently. He's a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And us as his children, 
need to live a different kind of life. And so in light of this, we need a, a set of ongoing intentional alarms to alert us of this reality. Otherwise, we're going to conform to the pattern of this world by default. Left uninterrupted, we will be shaped and formed by the pattern of this world. So what's an example of the pattern of this world? For me, this one is uh, an example that's come as I, from multiple conversations and observations. The pat- one pattern, an example of the pattern of this world is this phrase. I believe I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, and nobody should tell me otherwise. Isn't that the creed of our day, of our culture? They're not going to call, no one's going to call it a creed, but a creed begins with the words, I believe. And I believe that this is the creed of our day. Someone saying, I believe that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, and nobody can tell me otherwise. I don't have time today to, to get to all the inputs of how we've come to this point as a culture. But this thought process definitely has a central place in our thoughts attitudes and arts, it's, and uh, attitudes and actions. It's air that we breathe, and it's not just air that we breathe, it's not neutral. It has that shaping and conforming influence on us. And in many ways, this belief in controlling thought elevates the self, right? personal feelings and personal desires above anything and everyone else. And to call this into question strikes a nerve that's met with immediate, immediate and forceful resistance. We can find ourselves, I could find myself, conforming to this pattern without thinking. We can easily blend in and find ourselves adopting this central belief in our own lives right, to the harm of others, even to the harm of ourselves. Um, so what's a different thought and life pattern that we could adopt and let shape our lives? To do this, I want to go to the words of Jesus. It's a different one. Jesus, this is well known. If you've been around the church for a while, a person came to Jesus and asked, what's the greatest command in the Old Testament? And recorded in multiple places in the gospel, here's one in Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus said this, the most important one, said Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Here, here we see a set of beliefs and, and controlling ideas that elevate God and others above ourselves. With this in mind, we put God first and seek to love him with our whole being. With this in mind, we seek to love others first with our whole being. As we return to the words of Romans 12 too, we now consider what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If we are to be trans- transformed, the question is transformed into what? What are we supposed to be transformed into? And the clue is, the only other use of that word transformed used by the, Apol- by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is in his second letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, uh, is a clue to what we're being transformed into. And the answer is we're being transformed as we surrender to God to become more and more like Jesus. Right, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what do we learn from this verse as we think about this pattern? As we focus on Jesus, 
We're transformed as we focus on who he is, his glory. He is Lord, as Savior, as Messiah, the risen king. As we focus on him, the giver of life, the bread of life, right? the beginning and the end, as we focus on Jesus and his glory, the promise is that we are transformed. Transformed into what? Into his image. His image, which means we become more and more like him. So what does this mean? As we think about the big God story of the Bible, as we start in the beginning of Scripture, we see that humankind is created in God's image, meaning every single human being are, is an image bearer of God with, all, with dignity and worth. Don't lose track of that truth in terms of how we relate to any and every single person. But that's usually where the world likes to stop. They don't like to talk about the next part. As you continue to read in the Bible, is that even though we're created in the image of God, something went wrong. But because of sin and evil, that that image became damaged. Became damaged. And it wasn't an image that we could repair on our own. We couldn't make ourselves right. We couldn't make ourselves perfect. And so God had to send Jesus. And Jesus is the one, as we're restored into a relationship with God, he then restores that image in us. He takes what's broken and puts it back together. It's like finding a, a piece of artwork on a junk pile and someone coming in, a, 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 a renowned artist coming in and knowing exactly how to restore that piece of artwork to beauty again. And he knows your life story. He knows what's broken. He knows where we've turned away from God. And that's the tragedy of Genesis chapter 3 and the fall or the turning away from God is that that image was broken. But as we focus on him, we become more like him. He restores that image. He makes us more like Jesus, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. So what's at stake with all of this? What's at stake is, and that brings us back to the end of Romans 12 too, what's at stake is knowing God. Knowing God and knowing his will. His will is described in this verse as good, pleasing, and perfect. So what is God's will? That's one of the most Googled questions, by the way. What is God's will for my life? Right. Many different definitions of God's will. One that's been helpful to me is God's loving and good intention for our lives, as expressed in his word, the Bible. Let me say that again. His loving and good intention for our lives as expressed by his word in the Bible. So Romans 12, 2 says we can discern the will of God. We can test and approve it. It's like um, a, a someone who works with metals and lights it up on fire to determine if it's truly that metal or not, if it's truly genuine or not. We can test and approve God's will as we surrender ourselves to him. We can discern this will, this will which is good like he is. It's, it's pleasing because it follows well, his ways, and it's perfect because it's like him. So how do we discern this? We need to intentionally seek to connect with God in order to discern his will. It's like getting to know any person. You could try and read their minds. If you're married, how does that work? Right? It's hard to read someone else's mind, isn't it? But you have to let the other person share. And so with God, it's the same thing. We can't read God's mind. We have to put ourselves in a position to let him reveal himself, to share his will with us. As we do, we can discern it together. We're not left to guessing. As you think about any person, as they get to know what's on their heart and mind, it's, it's in the context of a relationship that that happens best. It requires communication as we learn to listen to them, learn from them, and dialogue with them. So what are some ways to discern God's will out of this verse? As we think about it, is first, it starts with God's word. We need to hear and read what God says. Not leave it up to chance, not leave it up to what we think God should say. 
because that's a temptation for all of us. We think God should be like, but when we go down that path, we more paint a picture of ourselves than who God is. We need to let God speak for himself. What does God say in his word? How does he reveal himself? And let that transform and shape our view of ourselves, others, and even our world. Right? So start with God's word. Second is prayer. If you want to discern God's will, you have to put yourself in a position of communication with God. Something significant happens when we make, our available, make ourselves available to God in prayer. And even that's why worship services are important. There's something significant that happens when we practice being in the presence of God together, lifting up his name in song and in prayer and hearing from his word. Lastly, relationships with others who are seeking the same transformation. A Christian life is not meant to be a solo effort. It's not a you know, do-it-yourself situation. It's all together. We need to be in this together. We have to be in relationships with others who are seeking that same transformation so we can receive encouragement, receive insights for them, even be challenged by them and share in the joys and struggles of life. Those are some ways that we can discern God's will. And there are also ways that God uses, um, uses those ways to shape our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we can make ourselves available to those things. So as I bring this to a conclusion to share that this, as a follower of Jesus, this is not an option. Let me start going back to where we began. When Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. By default, we will be conformed. We will be shaped by the ways of this world and this culture. We need to let God interrupt that. We let him interrupt that through his word, through prayer, and with one another. We need to take this seriously. Otherwise, by default, we will simply float downstream, whether we realize it or not. God invites us to seek out this transformation. And as a church, he invites us to seek out this transformation. So my prayer for all of us as I enter into this sermon this day is that perhaps you would see just things a little bit differently. That you would go home this afternoon and think, huh, maybe I'm being shaped in a ways I didn't realize. And maybe I need God to interrupt that shaping. Um, that's my prayer for you. So let me give you one thing to remember, one thing to do as we conclude and some questions for reflection about this. One, one thing to remember is this. We can discern God's will and become more like Jesus as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Remember that piece. One thing to do is this, is, is really identify two sets of things. Identify first a set of specific ways to interrupt your conforming to the world. That's number one. That's what to stop. Number two, identify ways to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order to live out God's will more faithfully. So whether, as I've counseled in the past, take a piece of paper, maybe on one side saying, do not be conformed. And write down some of the influences that maybe you find yourself being conformed to the pattern of this world. Write them down. Identify them. Then flip over the piece of paper and write, but be transformed. And write down ways that you can make yourself available to be transformed by God. If you're a journaler, put it in a journal. If it's just you need a piece of paper, if you want to do electronic, put a horizontal line, whatever works. Take even five minutes and just brainstorm in those two areas. One thing to do. Last thing, some questions for reflection around this. As we land this, what are some specific influences that are conforming you to the pattern of this world? And how? How can you interrupt that process by limiting or removing them? It comes back to that list. Number two, what are some specific ways that you can let Jesus transform you through the renewing of your mind? And number three, what could change in your life? What could change in your life if you were more able to recognize and gladly embrace God's loving intention in all aspects of your life and in our world. Uh, 
Think about those questions. I'll post those questions on our Facebook page. They'll go out in the weekly email this week for you to reflect more. And I invite you to find someone, whether it's a friend, a spouse, a small group, someone to reflect on this. Don't let this week go by and just float downstream. Let God interrupt your life with his grace and truth as we consider these matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to this time, as we sang the song Refiner before, Lord, help us to be a people who are refined. God, in your word, you exhort us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I pray for wisdom for all of us to help us to see how we're being conformed to this world. And in ways, Lord, that that is pulling us away from you. And in doing so, Lord, in many ways, pulling us away from each other. God, renew us, restore us, revive us, help us. And in that, Lord, may the interruption come from Paul's words as well, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I pray that you would continue to give us ways to make ourselves available to you. Thank you for what's coming in September with our new schedule, that there'll be additional opportunities beyond worship for classes and opportunities for us as a church family to engage in the spiritual training that you want to give to us, God. We need your grace. We need your truth. We need to be transformed. So help us to take what you're calling us to take from this sermon, to put it into practice this week and in the weeks ahead. And may your grace-filled interruptions continue to help us walk more closely with you. And may we learn to love you and love others as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.